Hey, there we are at Masechet Pesachim Daf Mem. Uh, we're going to be seeing a bunch of uh, halachot regarding the uh, what to do with the wheat kernels, um, how one can process them and prepare them. Uh, number one, about first, if you roast them and then boil them, what happens? And um, a tangent to that is making sure to scald them sufficiently. Is it possible to do that? How about if you mix it with fruit juice? And then we have a halacha that Abayet changes his mind about. Uh, the common uh, thread throughout all the halachot is that someone changes their mind. First Abaye, then Rava, and then Rava again in the next sections. Uh, so I think that's uh, one, one thing that's holding them all together, uh, besides the treatment of wheat. Um, next, we're going to talk about soaking and uh, when it's okay to soak. Next, an interesting case about putting a stumbling block before a blind person. And then uh, use of vinegar which uh, also comes up at the, at the beginning. And we're, we're going to see there's actually a kind of chiastic structure to the, uh, the duff today. It starts off with a boiling after baking and ends also with boiling after baking. All right, we'll come back to the, uh, to the outline, but let's uh, jump into the first topic, which is roasting wheat. We mentioned yesterday that if you roast or bake wheat uh, dough, then it cannot become hametz anymore, um, even if you cook it more or boil it more after. Um, so that is generally too, true about, uh, about dough. But if you just take the wheat kernel and roast it, um, technically, if you roast it well, then it can no longer become hametz. However, uh, it, the problem is you may not be roasting it well enough. It's hard to tell. So the first halacha is Amar Mor Zutra. Lo limcha inish kedera bekimcha de avishna dilma la bashil shapir fateli de chimutz. So do not put a uh, flour, roasted flour, um, in the in the pot, because it uh, maybe it wasn't totally roasted, and therefore it will it may it may become hametz. Uh, so why are we putting ro- uh, flour in the pot, roasted flour in the pot? Uh, one opinion is we want to make the soup thicker. Another opinion, which I think is more interesting, is probably correct, is that there might be some small holes in the pot, and we're using this roasted uh, um, uh, flour to stop up the holes that are in the pot. That's really um, cool. Okay, so don't do that because the roasting might not be thorough. Next, Amar of Yosef, While we're talking about not doing something sufficiently, um, we said you also are allowed to boil, a poor boiling water, scald a kernel of wheat if you do it correctly. Um, the problem is uh, wheat kernels have a slit in them. And so if you do one at a time, that's okay. One kernel at a time. But if you put two kernels, then we are afraid that uh, one of the kernels might partially be go inside the slit of another. And then when you put, when you scald it, the, the water will not go on all four sides. And then that side is not cooked and can become chametz when it comes uh, uh, into contact with contact with water later. So, uh, so these things are you know, technically okay, but we worry about them being becoming totally uh, cooked. And then if they're not, they could become chametz. Good. Okay, now we talk about scalding back to roasting. If you're gonna roast a, uh, now a whole uh, sheaf, do not make, do not roast two sheafs of wheat with each other, next to each other. So we're roasting them. We're just putting them in the oven 
but during the process of roasting, some of the liquid may come out of one of the sheaves and go into the other, and that will cause the other one to make it to be wet and become hametz. Uh, so therefore, one sheaf at a time, uh, its own juice, I suppose, will not come back in as it's going out. Okay, that's the opinion of Abaye, who's machmir on, ro- on roasting two sheaves. Uh, but uh, says, if you're going to worry about that, then even one sheaf at a time is going to be a problem because it'll go out of this grain and that the juice from one grain will go into the next one and that'll be also become chametz. So therefore, your, your halacha is impossible. Rather, Dava has a very important halacha here that fruit juice, in this case, grain juice, uh, does is not like water. Only water will make something chametz. Fruit juice, something that the, the liquid that comes, the moisture that comes out of a grain, does not make anything chametz. And therefore, according to Dava, no problem. You could put many sheaves together on a, on a pan and put them all in the oven and roast them all at the same time. You don't have to worry about the moisture that's coming out of it. So Rava is uh, lenient here. And here's the change of mind. Abaya changes his mind, but not for the reason of Rava. He does not think that fruit juices are okay, but for a different reason. That while it is uh, this comes to, uh, while it is uh, flowing out, while the while the moisture is flowing out, it's not going to come back in and men become hametz. And we can prove that he uh, agrees. He says this from an, a similar statement. If you have a jug in which you that you use to roast uh, um, sheaves of wheat. If it's upside down, that's fine because any moisture will go out. If it's right side up, then it's not allowed because the moisture will stay in and then that will become absorbed with others. So as long as there's a way for it to go out, then that's fine. This is very similar to uh, blood in meat. Uh, We salt meat only because we are going to put it in a pot and then whatever blood comes out, if it stays in the pot, will be prohibited. However, if you roast meat, on a spit, right, or on a grill, and any blood that comes out falls down and it goes away, um, then actually you don't have to salt the meat. So here's the same thing. You have to make sure that the moisture has a way out and that way it will not be absorbed. If you do that, then you can, in fact, roast more than one sheaf at a time. And so here's the difference between their two reasoning reasons, according to Rava, since moisture that comes out of a fruit or out of a grain, it's not makes anything chametz, therefore it's completely permitted, even if the jug is right side up. Okay, good. So that concludes the first topic of roasting wheat. And um, uh, if you roast it and then boil it, it still may be a problem because maybe you didn't roast the roast the, the, the flour sufficiently, scalding sufficiently. Davas says fruit juice is okay. We follow the halacha like this, right? Sefaradim say fruit juice does not become make anything chametz, and so therefore we have masa ashira. Ashkenazim are somewhat more machmir on it. They don't think it's chametz. You can own it, but they don't like to eat it. And then we have the case of Davah, who, who changed his mind. Okay, good. So now we're talking about. 
going to be talking about soaking, which is a very important as regarding the processing of flour, even nowadays. So let's pay attention. And we're going to see that about change his mind twice. First, he's going to say it's prohibited. Then he's going to say it's permitted. And then he's going to say it's a mitzvah that you have to do, that you have to actually roast the wheat beforehand. Um, sorry, soak the wheat before, soak, soak the, uh, the kernels. Why, why are they soaking kernels? This is part of the processing. Um, because the kernel has bran uh, around it, if you mill it with the bran, then you'll get whole wheat. Uh, but that's very coarse. And even back then, they liked more refined wheat. In order to get the bran, there's many layers of bran on the wheat kernel. In order to get them off, you do have to moisten it, which is done till today um, to, to, uh, to it. And when you moisten it, then it's easier to get the bran out. So to get refined flour, you need to soak it first. The problem is if you soak it a little bit too much, then it can become hametz. So is it possible to soak it just a little bit so you can get the bran off, but not become hametz? Uh, it's possible, but very difficult. So that's the discussion here. Tenoda banan. Baraita says, En lotetin seorin ba pesach. Vimlatat nit bakeo asurot. Lo nit bakeo mutarot. Okay, you should not, we're not talking about barley right now, not wheat. We'll talk about wheat in a second. Um, you may not soak barley on pesach. Barley is softer than wheat, so uh, it could be more problematic. Um, and if you did, then don't throw it out, check it. If it's split, no, split open, um, then that means the moisture entered it enough that it's going to be, it's, it's hametz. So you got to throw those out. But as long as it did not split open, you can, they're still okay. They're not hametz. But don't do a lecha techila. That's the first opinion. Rabbi Yoseh has a fix-it tool. Omer shoran bahomes vehomes somtan. If you did put them in water and you see they're like getting bigger, um, then put them in vinegar and the vinegar will remove the moisture and, uh, and turn them back into non-chametz. Okay, that's the end of the baraita. Do not follow Rabbi Yoseh. You have to be more uh, machmir and you can't use this uh, vinegar trick. Rabbi Chista is a little bit more uh, stringent. He says, even if it doesn't break out, break totally, if it's starting to crack, and if you would put it on top of, here it's a barrel, um, and then it would split, even then it's considered chametz. The barrel might be a barrel of wine and maybe the vapors will make it split. More likely is the opinion that you're putting it on a, a pan that you usually use to roast the, uh, the wheat. So if you kind of even roast it a little and then it splits, that's already too much um, and that's considered chametz. So you have to you see how very careful you have to be. Ushmel says, no, no, you don't have to be that machmir. Um, only if it actually splits open, then it's chametz. Otherwise, it's not chametz. Um, so although he doesn't follow the biose with the vinegar, he uh, is is uh, he does uh, uh, is lenient in saying only if it actually splits after soaking, then it's chametz. And he did it himself. He did this in the village of this guy Bar Hashu uh, in his house, and he only if they actually split, then he would throw he would uh, say it's chametz. Otherwise, it would be fine. Okay, let's pause here for a second. Just talk about modern day. Um, and nowadays, if you have a, a bag of flour in your house, is flour chametz? So you might think a flour is just is just flour. It didn't right. I didn't make it into dough. I didn't make it into bread. So it should be okay. The problem is during the processing of flour, they do make it wet. 
um, and they're not necessarily careful about the level of how wet they're making it in order to make the refined flour. And therefore, um, you can't, if you're going to make masot or bake anything you, uh, that's kosher for Passover, you cannot just use regular flour. You have to buy special kasher le Pesach flour that's when it's processed, it's made in a, in a, uh, it's guarded to make sure that it will not become wet sufficiently that it, be, it becomes chametz. However, is flour actually chametz? Do you have to throw it out? Um, well, uh, since it probably isn't is not chametz, um, so you can you can sell it. It's not chametz itself. According to some, you can even keep it in your house and own it. That's machloket uh, of poskim today. Um, but certainly, you cannot eat it. Uh, okay, I mean, you can get into details and of exactly how how they process the the, the flour. But in any case, um, they, they definitely do uh, um, wash them, soak them or during the process, or at least spray them with uh, moisture. Okay, so back to this. Because it's so difficult to do the soaking, as someone who is Baal Nefesh, who cares about his soul, someone who is uh, very serious, uh, should not soak at all. Just do no soaking, and that way you'll have be, you won't have a problem. Uh, now we wonder, Ma'idi Baal Nefesh. What do you mean? Abbas saying it's like Midat Chasidut, the extra special person will not do that. But most people, it's okay. Actually, the law is nobody can. That was the Braita that we started with, right? You're not allowed to uh, soak uh, kernels on, on Pesach. So why are you saying that this is a, an extra good thing to do? Uh, here's what Abba meant. Here was only about barley, which is soft. And so he's saying wheat which is harder, and therefore, even if the wheat gets wet a little bit, the kernel is harder, and so it's not likely to spit, to split open, and will not become chametz. So therefore, wheat technically is permitted, but if you want to be a careful person, then do not uh, soak even wheat. Okay, um, good. Amar Rav Nachman, so that's all one opinion that says don't do it. Rabah, Rabah says don't do it. But uh, Rav Nachman says, man desayet lele abba, Amazing. He said, anyone who listens to Abba is calling him as a, as a, a, a name of respect, you know, who listens to father, he's a great, great sage, he will be eating moldy bread. In other words, not as, not as technically moldy, but that it's going to be so coarse because if you don't, if you don't soak it, you can't get the bran out. And then it's going to be like really coarse whole wheat masa and uh, impossible, you know, very difficult to eat. So he's not, he doesn't think this is a good idea. And after all, here's other people that did soak. Right? In his Ravuna's house, they soaked the, the kernels so that they could get the bran out and make nice refined masa. They also did in the house of Abin. Uh, tangent here, Abin did not exist. This is not a real name. Uh, I did a search, it appears only once, right here. This is not a sage that we know. Okay, so maybe this is the only time his name appears. Could be, um, but more likely, we should check the manuscripts here. And it's true, in the printed edition, it says, um, and that also appears in um, nowhere else. Rabah with a hair, Abin in Munich 95, but everywhere else, it's Rabah, Bar Abu, either with an Aleph or Rabah, Bar Abin with a He, also three times, or Rabah Bar Abu, and another two manuscripts 
And uh, the Yemenite manuscript, which is one of the best, says Rabah Abu, and so too um, this, uh, the Moseri, which is also from the Karaganiza, says Abun, and uh, the other Geniza fragment, Rababad Abin. So it definitely should be, should be Abi, uh, uh, Abu, or something like that. Um, anyway, uh, so the name is uh, uh, probably something wrong with the name in the printed edition. Anyway, whoever it was, he roasted, he roasted his, his uh, kernels. And so therefore, it seems like, according to Nachman, it's permitted, called all these sages permitted, and it's maybe even a good idea. And now we get to Rava. He's the main character here. He's the one that's going to change his mind twice. First, he says, Rava Ahmad Asur Liltot. You're not allowed to, to roast um, kernels. Now we have a question on him. And the Braitabav only said that you can't roast, soak kernels of uh, kernels of barley. Uh, but that means barley you can't, but wheat you can, as we said. So how could he say it's asur to soak? If after all, only it's only barley, but wheat should be allowed. Um, according to Rava, he's going to uh, fo- use the following logic. There's no, of course, wheat. Wheat is even worse than barley because wheat has that slit. And therefore, the water will enter the slit and it actually will expand more quickly and split and become chametz more quickly. So for sure, wheat is okay. Is not, is not, you cannot soak. I might have thought that barley, that it's smooth as on the outside, might be okay. That's why the Baraita was coming to say, no, even barley is not allowed. See, so it's not about the hardness of the shell, but rather the shape of the shell. So right now, according to Rava, barley or wheat, not allowed to soak at all. You're going to have to have some, um, some whole wheat matzah. However, he changed his mind. He found this baraita and that made him change his mind because it says you can fulfill your mitzvah of eating matzah with patnikia, refined uh, 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 matzah, a loaf. Pat means usually bread, but here it just means a loaf of matzah with refined uh, loaf or with a coarse loaf. So refined, how are you going to get a refined loaf? It's impossible to get refined flour without soaking. And since this baraita says you have to, um, that you can use refined flour, that means that it must be permitted to soak. Okay, there you go. So now he says it's allowed. But Papa is going to um, challenge this proof, but Rava will not change his mind anyway. Um, actually, he'll change his mind to be more Mikhail. But Abaye uh, Papa is going to say, this is not necessarily so. There, there has to be a way that you can actually make refined bread even without soaking. Here's one proof. Question from Abraita. Um, if you buy the flour from Gentiles, um, if it's from a kefar, from a village, then it's tahor, because in a village, they don't process it a lot. And so in the village, they just grind it without making it wet. And therefore, anything that never became wet does not murshar le tumah, is not susceptible to receiving tumah. So even though you're buying it from non-Jews, and the non-Jews aren't careful about what's, what it's touching, since they don't make it wet, it's okay, it's tahor. 
but if it's from a city, because in cities, they do process it uh, and refine it. And, um, and look how, how it says two kinds, flour and solit. Solit is fine flour. So this is refined flour. Um, and in the kedachim, since they do soak it, um, it becomes susceptible to tuma, and therefore they're tameh. So here's the question. In the villages, why is it tahor? Because they don't, right? Is it, is it not because they do not soak it? And yet it's called solet, refined flour. So there is such a thing as refined flour that you don't soak. That's the one that comes from the villages. So here's a proof against Rava. Rava said, oh, must be that you can use, that you can soak it. Because after all, here it says that you, can, you, you are allowed to use fine flour for matzah. But uh, Rava thought you cannot make fine flour without soaking. But according to this, you can make fine flour without soaking. Okay, we answer this. No, let's apply this whole halacha. Only the halacha that the ones in villages are tahor, that only applies to the regular flour. Only regular flour can be made without soaking, and that would be tahor because it comes from the villages. But the fine flour, that would only come from the big cities where they do soak it. Okay, so Rava said, no, 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 you don't have a good uh, disproof. I stand with my kula. After Rava left, then the Papa thought of a better question he should have asked. I should have, I should have questioned him from the following. When you have mincha offerings, they are made from fine flour and you are not permitted to soak them. And yet, look, you can make fine flour without soaking. So this is actually a disproof of Rava, right? And so therefore you can make masa that's fine, that's refined flour masa without soaking. It doesn't, this doesn't mean that you have to soak it. All right. Anyway, um, Rava already left. And, uh, and so he, we don't know what the answer would be, but Rava, not only did he not change his mind to become more, uh, more stringent, he went from saying it's mutar to saying that it's a mitzvah. And why did he change his mind to say that you actually should, must uh, soak, soak it before? From the following, Pasuk says you have to guard the masot. Uh, this is what we call masa shemura. And this pasuk is connected with eat it on the first night. So the first night you have to eat masa shemura, masa that's guarded. What do you mean guarded? Um, if if not that you're guarding it during the soaking, then what 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 else are you guarding, right? What do you mean you're going you're going to guard it while you're kneading it and baking it? Of course you have to guard it. That's like basic level, right? If you don't guard it then, then it's going to definitely become chametz. So that's basic guarding. Uh, the this pasuk is coming to say. There's enhanced guarding of it. So what's the enhanced extra guarding? It must be um, from the time uh, of, uh, from soaking, right? And that's what need really you have to require is very careful guarding. So that's what the pasuk must mean. Because right? that's the, uh, the, the, the watching, the, caref the careful guarding that you need during kneading, that's not called extra careful guarding. That's just plain old, you know, making sure it's not hametz. 
And further proof, uh, same idea, just uh, from proof from the, another statement. This is a very interesting halacha that you can buy uh, masa from non-Jews. The non-Jews didn't make it as masa; they just uh, they made crackers, and uh, you go and and you check them out, and you see, you know, oh, look, it looks you can tell that they're not leaven. Um, you can ask him what ingredients he put in, and uh, it turns out, okay, so they, they're not leavened, so you can eat them. Um, you can fill up your, your stomach with them on, 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 on Pesach. Uh, there's another halacha, not here, that you can also buy masot from Samaritans, even though they don't have a lot of the halachot that we have. Um, it's okay, right? So masa is masa. It's not leaven. It's, far, it's all right. I mean, there are other halachot involved in it, but uh, maybe they check those out too. Anyway, you can eat, you can use those. However, as long as you save room and you eat um, a kezait, in other words, you can fill your, your, your stomach with them during the meal, as long as you save some room because you have to eat a kezait at the end, that will be what we call the afikomin. Okay. Now this, we can learn from here that, yes, you can use this regular masa that you buy from non-Jews during the meal and at the end. But at the beginning, in other words, the first masa that you eat, that will be for a mitzvah, you cannot use this non-Jewish masa. You have to be, so why? What's wrong with this non-Jewish masa? Evidently, it's not masa shemura, right? And we have to have masa shemura for the mitzvah. Um, okay, so my ta'ama, mishum delabad behu shimur, because you didn't, you didn't guard it. They didn't guard it. They're not guarding it for you. They're not making it for masa. You're not there to guard it. So, now technically, you can go to this bakery and you can see it. Oh, I see it's in the oven. Okay, so you'll guard it from, you'll do some guarding, right? You can guard it from the time that they put it in the oven uh, until they take it out. And so you can still call that guarding. But evidently, you see that, that, that very basic type of guarding is not called masa shemura. And that's why that cannot be used for the mitzvah of masa, and so the extra guarding has to be from the beginning of the process. The beginning of the process is when you're going to soak it in order to start getting the bran loose so before you mill it. And so that's a part of his proof that not only uh, can you do soaking, you must soak it. Um, because if you don't soak it, then what's the point of the guarding, right? In other words, it's actually you're actually um, showing how well you're guarding it by soaking it and making sure that it does not become chametz. Otherwise, if you if you weren't allowed to soak it, you wouldn't need to guard it, right? You don't need to guard it if it's just locked up in a in a storeroom. Okay, so that's the proof. Now we question the proof. Maybe the problem is there that the time that it needed shimur, you weren't there. The time that it needs shimur is when they add the water to it, when they start kneading it. And when the non-Jew is doing it, you're not there. For, you weren't there for that part. You were only there for when you put it in the oven. And so maybe the simple um, uh, guarding would be when it goes in the oven. The enhanced guarding, which would call, be called masash shimura, might be when they start kneading it. And maybe because you didn't do that, that's why you can't use the non-Jewish masah. But if you did guard it from the time of kneading, maybe that would be okay. <speaking in Hebrew> So maybe that would be. So this source itself of Ravuna is not necessarily a proof um, that uh, that guarding has to be from the time of uh, soaking, and therefore there's no proof that you actually need to soak it. But nevertheless, even though Ravah's proof, the, the proof uh, was rejected that Ravah used, 
he did not change his mind. He would tell the workers who were cutting the, the stalks that they, when you, when you do that, you should put a, something over it um, so that you should keep it from becoming chametz. Uh, In other words, they're guarding it even from the time of harvest. And that's uh, generally what we do today. Um, we say means it's protected from the time that it was uh, cut to make sure that it will not come into contact with uh, water. And certainly from the time that it's, um, that it's milled, it will not come into contact uh, with water. Okay, and so therefore, it does in fact mean that needs to be guarded from the beginning of the preparation and all the way through. Um, okay. Um, sorry, yeah. But, uh, he told his workers, let me just clarify that, not cover it. He told his workers, cut it for the purpose of mitzvah. Um, so in other words, make sure to guard it, make sure it doesn't get wet. Okay, and so therefore, since he says you have to guard, you have to guard it that whole time, you, uh, why do you have to guard it? You have to guard it because you are going to soak it during the processing. And uh, therefore, he maintains that you do, you are allowed and maybe even need to soak it in order to get that refined flour. Okay, good. So that is, um, that's the end of that topic. Um, and again, we sort of uh, changed his mind twice, even though both times his proofs were disproven, he nevertheless changed his mind to become more and more, um, well, well, stringent and then permitted and then actually have to, that you have to soak it. Okay, and now we're gonna see a very interesting case about a stumbling block. Um, this is has to do with the one before that Rabina's, Rabina's um, mother would uh, bring him wheat that was guarded in troughs, and they would, uh, they were from the time of harvest, harvesting, they were kept there to make sure they wouldn't get wet. Okay, now here's the story. One time this happened that a boat carrying wheat um, sunk, and all of the wheat got went into the water. And so obviously it's soaking there in the water, it becomes hametz. Now they recovered the wheat, but now it's all chametz. What are you going to do with it? This is right before Pesach. So Rava says, sell it to non-Jews, right? You're allowed to sell it to non-Jews before Pesach starts. So, okay, he's going to sell it to non-Jews. However, a question on Rava's Pesach Kalacha. Interesting halacha that if you had a, a, a garment, that became kilayim, a thread. It's a wool, a wool garment and some thread got lost in it and you don't know where it is. You can't just remove it. Um, what are you going to do with it? Well, you cannot allow to sell it to a non-Jew. Why? A non-Jew non is allowed to wear kilayim. The problem is that maybe the non-Jew will resell it to a Jew and there's no way to know that this is kilayim because you can't see it. So therefore, don't sell it to a non-Jew because you don't want to put a stumbling block in for the Jew who, may buy, who might buy it from him. Uh, okay, this is going to be the, 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 the source of the question. How could he sell this chametz to non-Jews right before Pesach? Maybe the non-Jew will sell it back to a Jew, and then the Jew will have chametz. 
Okay. Also, don't make it a saddlecloth for a donkey because even though you're allowed to sit on kilayim, um, but you might take a piece of it to use as a patch and uh, and then start wear and then wear it. So you can't do that. You can. People aren't going to remember that this was kilayim. What? So what can you do with kilayim? You can't use it. You can't sell it. Use it as a shroud for a dead body, right? The the uh, the corpse is not going to give it to anybody else. You don't have to worry about that. And um, we say, right? When someone is dead, they are uh, free from mitzvot. So it's okay for a dead person to wear um, to wear a kilayim. Okay. Now here's the question. Why can't you sell it to an Anjou? Because he might resell it to a, to a Jew. So question on Dava, how, was he, how did he allow the boat owner to sell this wheat that was soaking and became chametz? How could he sell it to a non-Jew? What if the Jew, well, the non-Jew will sell it back to a Jew? So Dava changed his mind. Again, another story. Everybody's changing their minds. These are complicated cases. Hadar Amar Dava. I guess it's kind of like the like like the wheat. You know, the, the more you you soak it, uh, it changes form. So too, some of these questions. The more you let it sit, right, and uh, think about it, then the rabbis change their minds about them. So he says, you know what? Don't sell it to a non-Jew. Sell it in small measures to a Jew. Give this Jew a little, that Jew a little. It's still before Pesach. They'll eat it. They'll eat it now. Uh, you know, obviously, you tell them it's chametz. Don't sell it all, the whole boatful to one person. Then you're putting a stumbling block because they're not going to be able to, to finish it. But if you sell it little by little, the Jews will finish it off. Okay, very good. Now, um, the last topic about using vinegar, which we already saw to be assessed as a, as a solution, right? If you see a, a, wheat, a, wet, a wet wheat kernel and it's, it's getting bigger, just put some vinegar on it and then that'll stop the process. Tanura um, banan. And molaline takedera ba pesach. You may not stir flour into, um, into the pot on pesach um, uh, okay. But if you do want to do it, right, don't do it. But if you really need to do it, then, okay, put in the flour and then put vinegar. And the vinegar that you put afterwards will prevent the flour from becoming chametz. Okay, that's the first opinion. You can even, even do it the other way around. See, if you put the the vinegar second, then the vinegar is very strong, right? You're putting it in in its full force and it'll go in and stop the flour. The second opinion says, not only is that allowed, even if you put the vinegar in first and already the vinegar is cooking and getting weakened and getting dispersed. And then you put the flour, it's still okay. The vinegar will still be sufficiently strong even though it's now diluted to stop the flour. Okay, who is this? Who is this opinion that's more lenient regarding the order? This is not Tanakama, we get to the Biuda. He says that if you have a pot um, and a stew pot or regular pot that you took it off of the fire, do not put spices in it um, because the spices can still get cooked. Um, it's still a klidishon. I mean, you took it off the fire, uh, but it still has the heat from that from being on the fire. Um, 
But here's what you can do. Um, you can put the spices to the, uh, um, uh, to, you can add spices to the dish or the platter. In other words, a klisheni. If you take the pot, even if you take it off the, uh, off the fire, it's still too hot. If you pour it into a serving dish, then the serving dish is a klisheni. And once it's a, in a klisheni, secondary dish, it cools off a little and you can put the spices on there. This is a source for the principle we know, klisheni enomevashel. Once it's in a secondary dish, the one that you're going to serve on, the one that was not on the fire, then it does not cook. And that's why you're allowed to put the spices in that case. Um, this is, you know, very, very relevant to lots of things like, you know, I mean, spices are made out of leaves, right? Mostly herbs. Um, how about tea? That's also made out of herbs and leaves. So can you put tea into a klisheni? According to this, yes, right? You can, uh, you should not put a tea into a cup first and then pour water on top of it from the urn, because that would be um, just like water that was removed, once removed from the fire, um, it's just being poured. So it still has the heat of the klidishon. But if you put the water into the, into the teacup first from the urn, and then you put the tea bag in, that would be klisheni. And Sephardim uh, uh, certainly are generally uh, lenient regarding that, although um, some Ashkenazim and some people are machmir even in that, case because some things are uh, then they become they can cook easily but none of that's here over here it looks like spices can be put in a cliche okay that's the first opinion no you can even put the spices into the into the pot that you took off the fire um, except to a dish that contains vinegar or brine, because those are very strong. And then if you put the um, spices into that, then the vinegar, the heat, plus the lower heat, plus the vinegar will make that cook. It's like boiling. Anyway, what's the point here? Here, you, the vinegar is in the pot already. It's already got diluted and cooked. And then you're putting the spices after. Nevertheless, the vinegar is strong enough. Um, in this case, for lechumra. So we can prove from here that in the case of the flour also, if I put the vinegar in first and then the flour after, it would also be okay that the vinegar will still be powerful enough to uh, stop the uh, leavening of that flour. Okay, so uh, therefore, that could be the uh, opinion of this baraita. However, it could also be another opinion. Why not say it's Rebiyose, who we saw earlier now it's quotes as a titnan, but this is not a Mishnah anywhere. It is a Braita, the Braita that we quoted above. If you look in this case in manuscripts, you'll see that um, uh, all manuscripts except for Munich have ditanan. So uh, right, so the Tanya would was is what we would expect because it is a Braita, but you can see from here that the uh, the these language terminology are not always consistent. And here it's using ditnan. It should not be in parentheses. It should read the Tanan, but the word Ditanan once in a while can is used here for a Baraita, not for a Mishnah. Maybe it's a, such a well-known Baraita, it's like a Mishnah. Um, anyway, what does the Biyoseh say? That if you have these wheat kernels, you can put them in vinegar. And so you see that, uh, and, the, and the vinegar will stop them. So you see that he thinks that the vinegar does prevent, and no matter which way it goes, 
Um, so the Biose could be the opinion, and no, not necessarily. Kashmina and the Biose, Hane Melidi Tebe Anea, Valideta Arobet, law. The Biose was only talking about vinegar and it's pure in its pure form. In that case, it doesn't matter if you put the vinegar first or you put the wheat first. But here, where you're putting it into a pot and it all gets mixed up, maybe in that case, he would agree that you have to put the vinegar in second. Uh, in order for it to be stronger and not first. So the Bio says not necessarily the author, but the Bio that definitely could be the author. Um, okay, and last couple of statements. He says, no, don't do any of this. You cannot rely on the vinegar, not putting it before the, food, the flour and not after the flour. Why? Because like a nazir, a nazir is not allowed to have wine. So when he comes and approaches a vineyard, we say, don't go through the vineyard, go around. Technically, he can walk through the vineyard, but if he's going to walk through, he's going to be tempted to take a grape. So we say, don't even go anywhere near. Or we tell the alcoholic, don't even go into the bar. Don't, you're not going to say, go into the bar, but don't drink. Stay far away from it. Same thing here. Don't put the flour in the water at all. Uh, and don't rely on the vinegar trick. Uh, not everybody agreed. Rapape permitted the cooks from the, in, the, in the exilarch's house, he's the head of the Jews in Bavel, uh, to put mash roasted grain and put it into the pot. Um, and that will help, help, the, help it cooking. Uh, so he permitted putting a little flour into the pot. Rava disagreed and uh, vehemently. He said, is there anybody who would permit such a thing in the place where there are many servants? In other words, the servants are not going to be so careful. They're not so learned. And so, right, how could you possibly permit such a thing in the case of servants? They're not going to be careful to make sure it doesn't get leavened. So he doesn't think that that's a good idea. Or another version of what he said, he himself did it. He did put roasted grains in his pot to help it, to help it, to help it cook. So therefore, it seems according to Rava, it's not that he changed his mind in this case, he changed his mind in the other cases, but rather that he would say, if I'll do it myself, because I know how to be very careful, but you cannot go and tell uh, common people and servants that they could do such a thing. And so that seems to be the, uh, the bottom line regarding the, the roasting and soaking. These are all things that technically are allowed, but uh, the, uh, the, uh, are, are very, uh, one has to be very careful in doing it because well, it can easily, easily become hametz. And we end with the same topic we started with, which is um, uh, boiling, uh, putting, putting, put it, uh, boiling uh, after baking. And uh, we see that it really creates a nice chiastic structure with uh, the same theme running throughout of various rabbis changing their minds. Baruch Adonai Amen ve'amen.